This is On The Grid, powered by theracetalk.com on mypodcasthouse.com. G'day everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Grid here on mypodcasthouse.com or whatever you're listening to us on. Thank you for joining us. It's a special episode. It's sort of a part two of our Bathurst preview as we head into what hopes to be a massive weekend this weekend. Not what hopes to be, it will be a massive weekend. The Bathurst 1000 up there at Mount Panorama. Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com joins us. Hello, Crowley. Hello, Shebex. Uh, really looking forward to it. How can you not? Bathurst, it's the 1000, the great race, and there's just so many different storylines to follow this weekend. It's hard to keep up with it all, but uh, looking forward to trying and breaking it all down and making sense of it. Let's see how we go. Mark Walker also from the racetalk.com. Hello, Mark. Shebex, Crowley. What Crowley said, but I'm going to start with a question right off the bat. If yeah. you could win the Bathurst 1000 or the championship, what would you do? I'd go Bathurst. Yeah, I'd go Bathurst. Yeah, it's a funny, 100%. it's a funny one, isn't it? And you ask a lot of drivers, and drivers that are in a championship contention situation throughout the year, think about the answer quite heavily. But you're right; who, mm. nobody remembers championship winners, but everyone, it's like the Melbourne Cup. Who won the Melbourne Cup? Everyone can tell you who won Bathurst. Yeah, I'll, I'll pose a, I'll pose another one. If you could pick five rounds of the championship five rounds of the championship to go to and they, they were your five events of the year or Bathurst, what would you do? And Bathurst oh. can't be one of those five. So, so okay. you say hypothetically. It's not going to work. You've got the beer in Darwin. Yeah, I know. Well, this, this, is the, this is the conundrum. It's true. Great events. Townsville Ripper. Even, even little uh, events like Winton is a is a good fun event. Tassie's good fun, great place to visit. The Adelaide Five Hundred is the the granddaddy of them all. It's huge. What a great way to start the year. So so all the best ones, but you, you can go to either of them or you can go to Bathurst. What do you pick? Yeah, I well, I mean, Bathurst. I'm not gonna lie. No, I mean you could you could almost get your Bathurst fixed with every other Bathurst event that happens. If there's going to be three other Good race yeah. You could go and go to them and still get a bit of your Bathurst fix. I'm, I'm being clever. I'm being clever, and I'm doing the five events this year and missing Bathurst, but go to Bathurst next year and miss the five events. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's that's a lot of common sense from you, Chebecky, which is rare. Oh, but oh, I like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. No, that's that's but that's the power of the joint, isn't it? And and the and this race, among all others, remains. Remains the big show, and there's, there's no feeling like rolling into the place at whatever stupid o'clock it is on Sunday morning. Usually, it's before six a.m., and there's already twenty thousand people awake and good to go. Um, and the hills are already half full, and people are there mapping out there, putting down their tarps, mapping out where they're going to sit for the day. Um, the place just bubbles into life really early, and that build up continuously through the support races up to the great race itself, a later start time now, maybe we can talk about that. Um, that it just It's one of the great parts of the sport and just the way that day builds and builds and builds right up to the point when the cars are crashing on the rev limiter and launch off towards turn one, which which is up there with, for mine, the, must be like the bounce of the, the ball at the grand final or the first, first ball in the Boxing Day test or the start of the Melbourne Cup. It's, it's one of those sporting moments when that race actually starts and then you know that you're getting into something special for the next six hours or possibly less this year if it's dry. So yeah, it, it, it's a cool thing one way or another and it's, it's pretty cool to be able to be there and be part of it. I'd say it's possibly more than six hours. I reckon it's going to be a long one this year because we didn't have that, uh, that sand down warm-up. I mean, we yep. talked about it all year long. It just hasn't been there. All these co-drivers, Coming in cold, yeah, I think that's going to be tough. I mean, obviously, the later start time goes back to 2014 when we had the eight-and-a-half-hour race that we ended up finishing sometime when the Sunday movie was supposed to be on. But it absolutely rated its nut off. So yeah. that's the reason why we're doing it, is to get the more eyeballs on the race later in the day. But um, I'm not a massive fan of it as someone who has to work at the end of the day. So, well, I'm hoping that the Great Wall yeah. of China is open until 9 o'clock because I'm tipping uh, seven uh-huh. safety car 
sessions with 32 laps. <laughs> so it could be yeah. a long finish. So that, that, that makes it a seven-hour motor race. So, yeah, 11.30. So it'll be close to 7 o'clock by the time the, the race is the podium done, let alone all the post-event work. Yeah, I, I think the Chinese shops stay open pretty late on Sunday night. So I think we're safe for our uh, for the, the third AGM of the weekend. Yeah, I, I don't mind the start time. With, with my TV hat on, um, it, it's going to push it right into prime time and the, the numbers will be enormous, there's no doubt. And that's, that's part of the, the reason why it's happening and to capture that growing TV audience that builds across the day. Having said that, numbers for Bathurst have never really been a problem one way or another. And, and there's just that element of risk uh, that if it's a dark, gloomy day and we've seen Bathurst uh, at five o'clock, be almost undrivable mm-hmm. in the past because it's been too dark, too rainy, too stormy, whatever. So, yeah, that, that's probably the risk. And, and I just hope that the free to air broadcaster, Channel 10, um, have been clued up to the fact that they're just going to have to bump the news way back because the, the chances of the rush finishing at six o'clock are probably reasonably slim. I think they're on board with that. They, they wouldn't have started the race that late had 10 not been okay with that and, and they'll be fine uh, and it's worked in the past as well. So, yeah, there's, there's a few variables but look, if it pays off, if we get that remarkable dramatic finish, the, the numbers in that last hour from a TV point of view are going to be really, really sexy and that's vital for the sport at this point in time because um, we're, we're entering into a, a new media rights deal which we're happening soon and off the back of the AFL and NRL Grand Finals being pretty soft in terms of teenage TV numbers. So if we can get 1.2, 1.3 watching the end of the Bathurst 1000 compared to 1.9 watching the uh, watching the um, NRL Grand Final last weekend, then that's going to be really, really positive for Supercars. Boys, a lot it's of... They've that off, Rich. Oh, sorry. You're right. Channel 10's got nothing to show. They've got nothing to show. No, so no, of course, Supercars going to be on. And... Second of all, the Chinese restaurant's going to stay open because you're back finishing degustation there. So don't worry about that. We've got that. It's absolutely covered. That's that's good to hear. Uh, I've totally forgot what I was going to say now. Uh, One thing that I will say, though, is that it's been quite surprising that there hasn't been more noise made from the punters about the late start. Bathurst is very much a traditional event and the way it's always been done, you know, and the like, and it's just been creeping out, creeping out, and now getting out to such yeah. a late start in the morning. I'm surprised that there's not more noise from punters on that one. Yeah, well, look, I, I agree with that, but the interesting thing for mine is that the day doesn't start any later, so it's not like it's a later arrival to the circuit or a bit of a sleep-in for those that have had a big Saturday night in the McPhillamy Park campground. So we're still going to be at the, at the track well before the sun's up. There's still cars on track just after 7 o'clock, uh, first thing in the morning. I think it's a Toyota race that's first and then TCM soon after it. So all, all it does is just spread it out a little bit more. And I don't know if that's a good thing because there's so much downtime at these events. And Saturday afternoon, after the, the Super 2 race, there's not a lot going on Saturday afternoon with Super 2 and the shootout. And I think there's there's a Carrera Cup race in there and that's about it. So... Uh, I don't like that. I think I'm more for more stuff being on track more of the time. But at the same time, it's not a massive departure. And if the numbers are great from a TV point of view, that's not going to be a, a massive drama. And 80% of the crowd that are there are not transient. They're staying there anyway. So it's not like it's going to delay people trying to get back to Sydney or driving home or wherever it might be. I don't think that will affect from a walk-up crowd point of view because if you're going to be there, most of them are there from Friday anyway. Surprising, boys, that we're still getting aero tweaks right up until Bathurst now. It's only three three races left in the season and we're still getting aero tweaks. Uh, the Nissan's receiving them this time round and the report from Kelly Racing is that while they will be helpful for Bathurst, they're not significant changes. Over to you, Mark. Oh, I'll stop caring. Oh, whatever. And, and they're all just going to tear them all up anyway for the start of next season. Yeah. yeah. Just get, get it done. There's enough practice time. But this is the one event of the year where there's enough practice time where they're all able to sort out what they've got. So um, if you're bowling a wide, you know, we've seen Triple Eight at a few of these events this year, like Perth Island and Bend, where they were absolutely nowhere at the start of the weekend. Mm. But over the course of the general 
uh, standard super sprint, they've been able to figure themselves out. Here we've got a back of 1,000 before you can get to 1,000. So they'll have no drums at all. Let's have a look at yeah, uh, some I of the, the combinations, boys, and, and go through and, and see if we can pick a winner out of them. The one team that I'm surprised that hasn't actually won a uh, Bathurst before is DJR Team Penske. Are they the team to take it out this year? They will be the favourites. Well, well, I mean, they, they have won Bathurst before because it's, it's, it's Johnson Racing, but they haven't won no, it but for as a, a while. but as a DJR um, Team Penske, they haven't. No, well, Roger well, hasn't and, won one. the last part, no, no, that, and that's the key. That is absolutely the key. Is that Roger Penske has another Bathurst yet? So amongst all the other things that he's won, F one, he's won the Rolex, he's won Sebring, he's won major endurance races, he's won the Daytona five hundred and the Indianapolis five hundred. Now he's involved in supercars. He needs that, the granddaddy of supercar racing, that iconic event, on on his plate. And this is how the guy works. It's, it's about the big races. Propensity racing, and they're not satisfied until they've won them, and then they want to win it again, and that's what makes that team so good. That's why they won eighteen in five hundred, um, which is a remarkable strike rate, by the way. So, yeah, it, it's massive, um, and and it's a shootout for mine between them and Triple Eight, and, and for ninety eight percent of what everyone's been talking about this weekend. But the thing I'm most interested in is just to steer the conversation away from those two for the moment. And we'll come back because we'll hear from one of the stars of T8 in a minute. But where, do, where does the outsider from that mix? So it, it's, the year's been dominated by DJ Tim Penske. It's been dominated by uh, Red Bull Holden Racing Team. Domination is probably a rubbish word to use, but you get my point. Tickford Racing has been there or thereabouts with at least one car every round. But outside of that, I reckon it is wide, wide open with a bunch of teams looking to be the joker in the pack in that group. And that's one of the storylines I'm really looking forward to following over the weekend is is outside of those dominant eight Mustangs and two Commodores, where's the next best? Is it, is it Erebus? Is it Walkinshaw? Or probably not based on the year so far, but you never know. They're so good at Bathurst. Could it be anything? Could they be really good? That, for mine, is one of the really fascinating stories I'm looking forward to following. Rich, I think the story's going to be one of the co-drivers. I mean, you look at uh, Red Bull HRT cars, Lounge and Tandra in there, that's the absolute dream team. That is the best driving combination that the sport's ever seen. So right, I, seriously, Lounge and Tandra, oh, are you saying... Tandra and Van Gisbergen better than Wink Up and Lounge, which are the two? I don't think I don't think there's much in it. Um, okay, I, I said in the backers preview on the website that I think you'd have to give it to Van, uh, to Wink Up and Lounge because they've got the runs on the board between mm. them. Saying that, Jamie's got a bit of a curse he's got to overcome since 2012. He hasn't gotten it done, has he? So mm. there's going to be a bit of pressure there on Jamie. Craig's capable, but uh, hasn't done a lot of racing this year. You know, then you go over to the DJR Team Penske and you've got Prema there who has not started a race since the Gold Coast last year. Mm. So how is he in form? He's not in form. He's got no form. So that's a, a big risk on their behalf. I mean, he has been on the podium there previously with DJR Team Penske and with Red Bull. So, I mean, he's obviously a highly rated driver, but just doesn't have any of that racing experience on the board, which I think... Uh, might become a bit of an issue come race My thoughts would be if you're looking for a team outside of Triple Eight and DJR Team Penske to win, I'm actually going to go for a uh, a long shot here, and I'm going to go for uh, maybe a Wilkinshaw United car, Andretti United car. They've been there mm. before. They know how to do it. They've just got to get it well, done. Warren Warren Luff's got an extraordinary record at that place. Like he, he without having won the race. He and Scott Pye, they were, they were on the podium there last year. He's been on the podium five of the last seven years. Like, Luffy's track record at that joint is just ridiculous. So, And, and that team, irrespective of their struggles, has always been good there. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. They're good. I agree with everything Mark said. The, the interesting thing for mine, and, and just to finish on that co-driver point, is that if you had to name two drivers, two co-drivers, that you'd want to race to the death for you at Bathurst, I mean, it's Lowndes and Tander, isn't it? Because Lowndes has made a, a record of dragging results 
out of cars there when he hasn't been in a position to win. Remember in the the 84-inspired livery car where he was six with about 25 laps to go and ended up on the podium. And then in 2011 when he chased down the HRT car in the closing laps and got to the bumper, much to the joy of uh, the Americans calling it for speed in the States. And just there's, there's so many good stuff. And then Garth Tander, it's just, He's the racer's racer, and we talked to him about that earlier this year, and that you get him in a scrap and he's there. And that, that for mine, is the difference between them um, and the DJR co-drivers because they may be fast over a lap despite not having contested any supercar races for the year. But as Mark said, in racing conditions, that's where they're going to battle. Is it easier, boys, to tick a car off as not being able to win or to tick a car off as being able to win? And I, and I know that sounds silly, but this is Bathurst, and it throws up so many variables at so many different times. And you can look at so many of these cars and think on a normal weekend, they're not going to win a race this weekend, there's no doubt about it. But you come to Bathurst, and it's 1,000 kilometres, it's 161 laps, anything can happen. It's so hard to scratch a car off the starting list and say they're not going to finish or they're not going to win. Yeah, and Mark, this came up a lot in the Racetalk.com's preview of the race in that and I'll throw two at you for starters. The Davison boys, 23 red, absolutely theoretically a shot. And then the second Erebus car of Anton Dupasquale and Will Brown. Yeah. That, that's a real joker in the pack for mine. I really like that that combo. Two fast young guys are in great form. The team's good. Like, there, you're right, Shebex. Absolutely, I agree with you. And, and it is, there's a couple you'd rule out straight away. But the magic of this place is, is that. Um, you really just don't know until the last 30-odd laps and you find out who's on the lead lap and who's got a gun in the car and away you go. See, so much emphasis is placed on qualifying and getting into the top 10 shootouts, but all in all, qualifying at Bathurst is the least important qualifying of the year by a margin. You know, you look at 2014, mm. the car that started last crashed a couple of times, still won. Like, mm. it's that, if we have a crazy race like that again, how can you rule anyone out? Everyone's in, a, in with a shot at least to get a a really staunch result. But, yeah, I don't think you can rule anyone in or out. It just depends how the uh, cards fall on the race day. Well, boys, you spoke... I think, though, the pace, Shrek, sorry, the, the, the difference this year is that I, I think car speed plays a much bigger role now than it did in 2014. I don't think there was quite so big a spread over long-distance race pace and car speed the, in 2014 as there is now. So if it comes down to an arm wrestle at the end, and yes, if you luck yourself into some track position or via good management, um, you know, you could jag a result if things work that way. But if it comes down to a 10-lap flat-out sprint, you might find yourself a sitting duck. So, And that I, I don't think that was quite as much the case as it was in 2014. You mentioned the Triple Eight combinations before, guys. Our man Dale Rogers caught up with Craig Lowndes to have a chat about his thoughts on the 2019 Bathurst 1000. Let's have a listen to that now. Just get some thoughts. I mean, you go to Bathurst this year in a very different role, but one that obviously you're quite excited about. So preparation-wise, how are you feeling about heading to the mountain as the first round of the Endurance Series? Yeah, well, it's going to be different uh, being the first round or the, or the start of the Endurance um, Series because you know, normally you have your, your warm-up or your 500-kilometre race at Sandown, but uh, uh, Bathurst being the first one, you know, all teams... Will go their best prepared, and, and uh, but I'm sure they'll you know, not all of them, but some of them will encounter some issues, which again you normally sort of you know, rectify all that at the 500, but you don't have that opportunity this year, and that's where it's going to be really interesting uh, to see what happens. I think that uh, co-drivers is going to put the co-drivers under a little bit of more pressure because of uh, not having that lead in race, mm. but. You know, hopefully that's it works well for for myself and and you know Steve Richards and Garth Tander and the other other like that have been there that many times. It's um, you know hopefully that won't be a factor. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it's a different role for me. Co-driving is is something that uh, I I did at the beginning with Brad Jones. Um, so now almost going full circle and uh, looking forward to being able to share the responsibilities of the setup of the car with Jamie and and the team. It seems in New Zealand, Craig, that the the Commodore found a bit of uh, a bit of what it was missing uh, on a track that is fast and bumpy and, and has some undulation. Do you think that's a, a that's a good sign for Bathurst, given it wasn't perhaps from a Winton or something where you've come from a, a track that's probably got some similarities? 
Uh, well, it's a good sign. I don't know if, if we've seen the true effect of, of what that error update has, has uh, done to the Commodore as, as yet because of the nature of Pukekohe. You've got to run the car quite high and ride high. So yeah, the, the, yeah. the front ground effects probably, again, we haven't seen the, the true effect. We've got a test day next week, which, again, will give us a good indication of, of where the car is based at. Um, it's... Uh, but, but for me, it's been you know, a, a, a positive step forward, knowing you know, the pace of the Mustang has been ex- extremely good this year. You know, Scotty's driving ex- exceptionally well. Um, so, yeah, just to see that the gap's closed in, 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 in some way, um, it, it, it gives, just gives us more um, confidence going to Bathurst now, that's for sure. Would you prepare any differently? Obviously, the TV role will have an effect on your weekend, or or, or you demarked it pretty well. Well, funny you say that. It's uh, yeah, it's it's definitely going to be a different year with all that side of it, with with, with sort of almost dual roles going on. The the preparation and the leading to the, the actual week of Bathurst will be the same as what uh, Lara and I have always done, which is you know get in the caravan and, and get off the grid for a little while and yeah. just sort of uh, mentally and physically just sort of get ready for what the you know the crazy week of Bathurst is. Uh, but yeah, the dual role side of it is is something that, uh, to be honest, Lara is working with with both Fox and the team to try and. Uh, find a, a happy balance, mm. and that's one of the things that uh, you know. This year for me has always been in TV world, and getting my head around it and understanding it, which you know I'm starting to feel more comfortable and confident with. But again, now getting back into a, a race mode or, or driver mode, uh, got to make sure that we balance that up and, and not sort of try and do too much of of TV world, considering that uh, we're there to support Jamie and the team. Yeah, there's Dale Rogers with Craig Lowndes, and uh, interesting chat. It's just this guy, Craig Lowndes, there's just a mystique about him, isn't there, when it comes to this mountain and what he's been able to achieve in the past and gee whiz, God knows what he could achieve in the future. Will, will he get nine, do you think? That's, yeah. that's the story. Will, yeah, will he, he will at some point. Rock? And the fact he's just done a new two-year deal to stay with, with Jamie in that car for the next couple of years or stay with the team at least and in his co-driving role, you'd imagine it'll be with Jamie. Just add to that. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think you get it to nine. I don't think you'll get ten. Why not? Just lock it in. He can do it. He's careful of it. I mean, yeah. who would have had him to have the win last year, really? I mean, he was the third AAA car, and at the end of the day, he was the one that was there getting the job done. So you never rule anything out with him. One team that has continually shot itself in the foot a little bit over the past up at Bathurst, and uh, things have conspired against them, one might say is, of course, uh, pro, uh, Tickford Racing now, but uh, in all different guises beforehand. Uh, their best combination, I would say, would have to be Chas Mostert and James Moffat. Are they a realistic chance? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I think they are. Um, I, I, that's outside of the the highly profiled uh, T8 and TJRCP combinations. I think that is probably the best all round. But I, I think what Tim Edwards and the team there have done has assembled a pretty good forecast mm. squad, really, because Mostert Moffat is a great combination. I talked about the Davisons before. Um, Alex is a really safe pair of hands who you know will bring the car back in one piece, and Will has shown plenty of car speed recently. And again, remember, all you need to do is be on the lead lap at lap 135, and you're in with as good a shot as anybody. Um, Cam Waters has been in good touch, just re-signed for two years, Monster on board for a couple more years. Caruso looking to make a mark, I suppose, having lost a full-time ride and having driven quite well for GRM in those fill-in rounds that he did. So I think that's a, a really decent combo. And then the X factor for mine is how young Tommy Randall goes alongside Lee Holdsworth. And, and as Lee's season has progressed, he's got better and better in that car and um, he was the fourth of the four Tickford cars at the start of the year, but he's been punching on in the last couple of rounds, qualifying much better and racing really well. Um, Tom's pretty highly rated, but the thing I like about Tom Randall, and I've seen a lot of his racing, is he's got a really sensible head on his shoulders. And I think that comes from racing a sports sedan, because if you get it wrong in a sports sedan, you have a really, really, really large accident. Um, and I think having a 900 horsepower six litres seven on your right foot teaches you a bit of patience and in an endurance race, especially this one, I think that's going to work. So I'm interested to see how he goes, but you're right. It's a really good four-car team. Yeah, exactly. I mean, 
they, they've got the equipment there, they've got the manpower, they just need to execute and anything's possible for ProDrive or Pickford. Out of all the teams that are probably classed as outsiders in the field, if we were to fly a flag for an outside team, of course it would have to be for our very own Truck Assist Techno team of Jack LeBrock and Jonathan Webb. And we do thank the great folk at Truck Assist for the work that they do with this podcast and, of course, the racetalk.com. Mark, you caught up with Jack LeBrock for a bit of a chat about his thoughts on Bathurst. Let's have a listen to that. Jack LeBrock, welcome to On The Grid. Big week this week. Off to the big dance at the mountain. Looking forward to it. Yeah, hanging out for it. It's um, one of those cool events everyone um, wants to get to throughout the year. So, uh, yeah, hanging out for um, yeah Bathurst. It's sort of thing, like, you've had a tough season. No no point walk, shying away from that. But a good result at Bathurst can just turn everything around. And it's the sort of race where anything can happen. Yeah, definitely. It's shown in the past that... Um, yeah, you don't have to uh, qualify at the front or, um, yeah, just got to make sure you're there actually on the lead lap at the end of the race and uh, anything can happen is um, one of those crazy joints. And, uh, yeah, if it starts raining like it's uh, looking like it might again, it's yeah, it's going to throw more um, spanners in the work and spice it up. But, yeah, it's one of those cool events I'm hanging out for it. And like you say, it'd be awesome to have a, have a good result there. The, the long-range forecast, looking a bit dodgy on it there. It looks a bit like last year where it rained through the entire lead-up and then come race day we're in the dry. So that's not what you want. No, it's never ideal. It uh, makes it difficult. I remember last year we went straight into qualifying on a dry circuit and uh, had to had to work it all out and um, get all rid, of, rid of all the cobwebs. But, uh, yeah, it's always been nice when you can get some dry laps around there. It's a place even, doesn't matter how many times you've been there, you still go out the first, first sessions. Um, yeah, fairly hairy. You go over the top of the mountain, you get down to the bottom and you see you three seconds off the pace and you're like, oh, we should have got a lot to find. So, um, yeah, it's going to be exciting. I love that um, aspect of it every time. So it's going to be cool rolling out the, um, the gate for the first time. Your previous campaigns, you've been in every make and model. You've been in the Ford, the Nissan, the Mercedes, the Commodore. Second year up in the Commodore, a bit of continuity there. I know, it's the first time, uh, well, I think it's actually the first time ever since I've been driving supercars, all the way through Dunlop Series and everything. I've driven the same car year to year, so it's a little bit weird. I don't know what to feel, um, how it's all going to go, but yeah, it's cool. It's, um, like you say, probably one of the only ones that have driven that many makes of um, cars. The only one I didn't do was a Volvo. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. Second year at Holden. So the aero changes for this one, everyone's sort of, it's been the talking point, a lot of unknowns from everyone really, because everyone's had changes, never been there with any of these packages, how do you think that's going to pan out? Yeah, look, it's going to be interesting, um, especially I think for the Mustang guys, the Holden's not massively different, but the, yeah, the blokes in the Stang is um, yeah, very different, but so many different rule changes since last year since we've been there, so I think everyone's going to be... Um, yeah, thinking pretty hard about how to make the car work. Um, it's very, very different to circuit. You've got the very low-speed corners at Forest Elbow and down the bottom of the hill. Then you've got super high-speed undulation up the top. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. It's going to keep the engineers on their toes. And, um, yeah, I suppose for us as well, we're just going to um, hope we can keep it in one piece. Qualifying's one thing. Race is a complete other thing. What do you want in a race car at Bathurst? Do you want that straight-line punch or do you want something that handles over the top? Yeah, look, it's hard. It's one of those things. I think you uh, you want a car that's nice down the bottom of the hill because if you um, yeah if you slow down the bottom, you can't do any passing. Um, but I suppose if you're out in front, it doesn't really matter. But uh, yeah, over the top of the hill, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world to have a uh, be struggling in there. It's better having the, the low speed um, turn and rotation and drive, um, especially if you add it up to turn two. So yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of different ways you can go about it. So um, it's actually pretty cool to see what um, people go chasing throughout the race. So a bit of a different leading this year, no sand down. That just feels wrong, doesn't it? Yeah, it's weird. It's going to be, uh, I suppose, it's going to be harder for all the co-drivers. A lot of them haven't done many laps. So um, usually the sand down is a big warm-up, gets, um, gets all the cobwebs out and gets everyone used to the team and environment. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how those boys handle themselves. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be cool. Looking forward to it, actually. You've got Jono on board again this year. Um, he's obviously a race winner there, which is a nice thing to have in your camp. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's one of those things. He's been there, done it all before and um, done many laps. So, yeah, hopefully we can uh, just keep circulating and learn and um, yeah, have a good good uh, race. How do you sleep the night before the big race? Uh, yeah, I'm not, I actually used to be worse when I was younger. I'm actually getting a lot better at sleeping these days before racing. So, uh, definitely helps, makes it a little bit nicer. But, um, yeah, it's what, you always get nervous and you always get a million things going through your head. But, yeah, just uh, close your eyes, switch off and um, get some shut eye.
it's such a big week, you know, it's our grand final, but it's a few meetings away from the end of the year sort of thing. You know, you get there really early in the week, there's so many commitments going on, you've got the parades and all that sort of stuff, so it's just a massive week, isn't it? Yeah, it is a big week. It's funny, like, you get up there on Tuesday um, and you don't really leave until the Monday following, so it's, um, yeah, it's massive, a lot going on, a lot of media, bits and pieces, and a lot of laps, and we've got six or seven practice sessions um, throughout the weekend, share, obviously shared with the co-drivers, but... Yeah, it's a lot of time on track, and a thousand k's on Sunday makes it pretty exciting. But um, yeah, you definitely know about it um, come Monday uh, morning following. You've had a lot of good runs there over the past. You've been in the podium at the twelve hour. You've won their Formula Ford. What's your favourite bit of it? Uh, yeah, I suppose the twelve hour is actually pretty exciting. It was um, it was awesome to be on the podium there. We probably didn't expect to be after hitting the kangaroo early in the race, but uh, yeah, that was a cool. Um, cool event for me it was uh, pretty nice and even uh, myself and Cam were fourth at Bathurst in 2016 that was pretty exciting and coming so close to potentially being on the podium there but uh, yeah one of those awesome places you always get uh, plenty of memories from it last question what's your favourite truck insurance uh, definitely truck assist give them a go <laughs> well Mark he's a pretty cool calm and collected character isn't it when it comes to talking about the big race yeah, he's been there and done it all before. This is his second time there as a lead driver, but the first time with any sort of a continuity there in his career at Bathurst, having driven the Mercedes, Ford, uh, Nissan, and then Holden last year. And yeah, had some staunch results up there. Finished fourth and seventh in the great race. So he's got a couple of top tens. He finished on a podium in the Bathurst 12-hour, and he absolutely cleaned up when he was there in Formula Ford. So he can drive, and it's one of those things. If it's a crazy race, can't rule anyone out like if 2014 all over again anyone could have won that and there were so many disappointed drivers that finished mm. in the bottom half of the top 10 and going well that was my chance like that was 100% my chance to win that race so if we get in the wild one which I reckon is absolutely on like Donkey Kong if you look at the weather forecast with the wet lead in so nobody does any practice laps like they did last year and they don't have any sort of running under their belt like they did at Sandown last year I think it could be wild. Yeah, it's an interesting one, and you're bang on about Jack's priors there. Um, of them all, and with, with the fullest of respect, and we need to remember, this guy's a Bathurst winner in 2016, which wasn't that long ago, but Jonathan Webb would have to be the least prepared co-driver out of the lot. Mm. Like outside, he was confirmed a week ago. I don't know when the last time he drove a racing car was. Oh, he's so, driven the car driver sessions this year, so... Yeah, okay, so yep. at least he's done those, yeah. So that, that's probably the week when fans. The other thing that, that concerns me a little bit about teams like that is that, and, and especially Techno, is that they've, they've lost the strategic mouse that they had. And I know they didn't have a good run last year, but they had Adrian Burgess and Campbell Little around. With, with them both departing, uh, who, who makes the brave pit stop call or who... Who's going to use all that experience they've got in running races like this to to make the right call in pit lane and on strategy when they need to? So that that's probably where they're lucky. But there's there's a bunch of those little teams that could that could factor in this weekend. Um, the, the Todd Hazelwood Jack Smith combo is an interesting one, and a lot of people in our preview on the website tip that car to make the shootout, and and he's done it twice this year already. So. They, they could be a surprise contender on pace, certainly the car's fast enough. Um, and, and then, of course, there's the, the WAU cars, which are always good there, as we touched on earlier on. And James Courtney and Jack Perkins always team up well together, one on the Gold Coast a couple of years ago. But I, I reckon the pile-up combo is even better than them, just with their priors at Mount Panorama, and they gel really well. Um, and then there's the question of how the wild cards go, which is, yeah. which is another variable in this race. So many variables, so many things to think about, and so many things have been discussed, especially in the Bathurst 1000 preview on the racetalk.com. A great initiative there, Richard, with that. And, uh, Jewish, we had some great responses from, uh, from our guests who uh, put in their answers into some uh, fairly intriguing questions. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm wrapped with how it turned out, and we had some fantastic contributions from the likes of Jack Perkins and Lee Holdsworth were great. Jack Brock put his thoughts in. Um, Greg Rost is considered and uh, moderated as ever. Chad Malon had some excellent thoughts. And, of course, the, the awesome foursome from Team Race Talk had, had all their opinions, which were all great. So, yeah, lot, lots of different approaches and different thoughts, tipping pole position times. The, the thing that struck me about the race this year and about the feedback that we got from our panel 
was that there are so many different possibilities. And we, we asked people to predict the power rankings and no one picked the same hot and the same not. Mm. So there were, there were 20 different answers, either hot or not, from our 10-member uh, 10 panel on the, the Bacchus preview. So, and that, that sums it up for me. And then the, the key moment in the race question was exactly the same. So that, that shows a, a pretty broad spectrum of competitors, of media, of journos, um, showing how, how open this race really is, which is, which is great. It's what we want. We need this race to be an absolute belter and everything is pointing towards it. And I'll tell you what, folks, Has it ever been predictable, though? No, what, never. Have we ever been able no, to predict no, no, it hasn't. No, no, you're right. Absolutely. Never. And I'll tell you what, Correct. folks, we'll have to win it two years in a row. We'll have it all covered on the race talk. We'll have it covered on the race talk.com and right here on uh, my podcast house.com with on the grid. We'll bring you a podcast on Thursday night covering off all the action from day one. We'll bring you a podcast after qualifying a podcast after the top 10 shootout on Saturday. And then on Sunday, if you happen to be away from your TV and you can't get to Mount Panorama yourself, then all you need to do is stay tuned to your favourite podcasting channel. Download On The Grid on the hour. We'll record it at the top of the hour. It'll be up and available at around about a quarter past each hour and we'll bring you up to date with everything that's happened in that past hour as well as interview with drivers, team owners and the like. A comprehensive coverage of Bathurst right throughout Sunday, right through until the finish, including the uh, – we'll even bring you the uh, the, the uh, press – uh, what am I thinking about, boys? Yeah. What's the name I'm looking for? Press conference. That's yeah, right, the press, press conference. conference. That's the one. press conference. So it'll you know all what, be we, there. what we should do? Do you think we can get away with with podcasting the uh, Sunday night Chinese dinner debrief? I'm hoping we can do that. I really am because that could be the I highest mean, rated podcast in the history of podcasts. Well, we'll, we'll just wear the we'll just wear the lawyers up. Make sure they're across it. We might have to run it past them first. But, can we just change uh, we'll names? We'll try not to be too rebellious. Can we just yeah. change people's yeah, names so yeah. we don't uh, upset anyone? Yeah. That would be great. If we could. Cars in the race. It would be I great. I reckon if we people could. will work it out. Yeah, I reckon it will. So, so normally, it's, normally it's just the middle smorgasbord, so we're going to lock that one in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it depends on how big the race was. You know, like if it was a if it's a seven and a half hour epic, Mark, I, I think we go the. I think we go the gold banquet. I think it has wow. to be a big one. The unfortunate, yeah. the unfortunate thing is, is that Siegel doesn't sponsor or manage anyone anymore, so we don't get shouted dinner on Bathurst, which is no. A shame. That Siegel, David, David Siegel manages the stars absent this year, which yeah. is very disappointing. So we we've been anointed to manage the Sunday night uh, debris, which which I think opens up a world of possibility. To oh, be honest, so amazing. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see who can fill his usual incisive comments in that role. But uh, should be good, boys. Uh, pick pick a winner. Uh, you've done it on the race talk, I know. But uh, pick a winner. We need to know who's going to win this. Mark, oh, I think I went car triple eight. Yep. Yeah, sure. I, I went seventeen. I went seventeen. I, I think I think the captain's going to get a Bathurst win. It just seems appropriate. Yep. I'm gonna. Oh, I'm going to reserve my tip. Can oh, I do that? No, that's that is no, that is rubbish. All right, then I'm going Mossert. Oh, then I'm going Mossert and Moffat. Is that different to what you predicted in the website? I have no, I can't remember. That's why I wanted to reserve it because I was trying to get it up on the website. Uh, well, we'll have a look on the website. You can have you can have two because you run the podcast. I like it. Have a look on the website. And you'll find out what my tip is. Hey, boys, always great to catch up. Thank you. Catch you up there tomorrow. Looking forward to it. See you, boys. Good on you, See guys. Up. Mark Walker and Richard Crowell from theracetalk.com joining us here on The Grid. Always great to talk two wheels, and we do that with our man, Mark Brax. Hello, Braxy. G'day, Shebex. How are you? And I'm fantastic. How was your weekend at Phillip Island? Oh, massive, mate. Absolutely massive. The sixth round of the Australian Superbike Championship. And uh, without being too jingoistic or anything, but it'd have to be uh, one of the best championships uh, fought out in Australia for many, many years. And I think some of the action is right up there with the best in the world as well. But had everything on the weekend. Yeah, which is fantastic. Uh, re- reflected by the fact that in six rounds, we've just gone on to our fifth different leader in the championship. That's amazing. That is, that is amazing. Yeah. And our old mate Wayne Maxwell taking a win as well. 
Yeah, he took a win in a second. Um, the uh, first, well, there's a bit of controversy as well. He won the first one quite easily, but the second one was uh, uh, hard fought between him and Mike Jones, who went into the championship uh, leading, um, or went into the round leading by 11.5 points from Crew Halliday. Uh, Wayne Maxwell was in fourth position, uh, fifth position, <clears throat> fourth position, pardon me, going into the championship. Um, and was 26 points off the championship lead. Uh, Herfoss was uh, in uh, fourth position and he was uh, uh, 19 points off the lead, I think it was, by recollection. There's been that many points going on at the moment. It's like a long marathon tennis match at the moment. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, was, uh, Wayne won the first one in pretty well by about two seconds uh, from Herfoss in second position and Mike Jones in third. That was another last, last battle dice. And uh, Herfoss riding the wheels off the Honda because it's uh, underpowered as far as uh, straight line acceleration and top speed, but he round the back of the track and using it like a dirt track was where his heritage comes from. And uh, he broke through to win the second race after some uh, controversy with uh, Wayne Maxwell and Mike Jones and Herfoss in close proximity. Mike Jones went into turn number four, the uh, notorious hairpin at Phillip Island, a bit uh, too wide, allowing to get for Wayne Maxwell to sneak up the inside. And, um, well, not that Wayne Maxwell sneaks anywhere when it comes to overtaking the neighbors, but, uh, he went in there, got the, through the corner, got in front, and just the way it all ended up, Mike Jones had to pull the bike back because he was running wide, and they tagged Maxwell's rear wheel, took out Jones's front wheel, and so he was out of the race with a broken handlebar. Uh, the, the incident was, uh, immediately under race directions, uh, investigation, but in the end, they found that there was no, um, Nothing to be said or held responsible for Maxwell. It was a, um, a racing incident. And to tell you the truth, Tony, if you cast your mind back to February when Maxwell was taken out in a similar mm. sort of fashion with Aidan Wagner making a move on him, if he'd been penalised for that and nothing had happened in February, it would have been a bit of a, a miscarriage of justice, actually. And with, uh, <clears throat> he ended up finishing second. Um, Overall, and then uh, on the day, but um, by doing that with Herfoss's uh, second place in the first race and he's winning the, the second meet, he moves into the championship lead from Wayne Maxwell with Wayne uh, Mike Jones a further three and a half points behind with one round to go and uh, 51 points up for grabs. And, and even if you work mm. it back, I mean, Herfoss now in front by three points from Maxwell, who's one and a half points in front of Mike Jones. So there's only four and a half points between first and third. But even Crew Halliday in fourth at 222, he's only 19 points behind the leader. If things go his way, you just never know. Yeah, exactly. Well, when you say things go his way, they didn't go his way on the weekend because he crashed no. out of one of the races after being in um, <clears throat> maintaining second position for quite some time in the championship. His first race wasn't too flashy. Either. I think he finished seventh or eighth in the first Yeah, fifth in the first, first one, Braxy, fifth. Yeah, never really um, done much at Phillip Island. It's been one of his bogey tracks, and he was hoping to get that out of his system on the weekend, but unfortunately, you have to wait another year for that one. Whereas Herfoss says the same thing, but uh, he's fight makes some determined riding. Wow, he just rode the wheel, and to think how he um, held off the uh, acceleration of the Suzuki on that charge to the line on the final lap to get it by uh, less than a less than a tyre width sort of thing. It was uh, remarkable, and it's really set the scene for a great championship. But when you say um, Crueladay, 19 points adrift, Josh Waters isn't that uh, far behind him either in uh, sixth position. So there's anyone of six riders mathematically who's still got a chance of winning this championship with that. Uh, everything to play for in a month's time at Sydney Motorsport Park. Let's turn our attention to MotoGP, Braxy, and another win. Well, just before we do, yeah, Tony, please, I've yeah. got to say that the support classes, we saw uh, Tom Taparis being crowned the Australian Supersport Champion after his stellar year with overseas nice. duties nice. and here, uh, with a race to go, and the support categories for the youngsters, mate, was absolutely mental. Oh, fantastic. So our future is in, in safe hands with that. But, yeah, like you were saying, MotoGP, and, um, well, it's, um, the more things change, the more they stay the same, except nothing changes. And this, and they all stay the same, isn't it? With Mark Marquez, uh, winning his eighth, eighth championship, his sixth championship in MotoGP in seven years. Um, yeah, it was, uh, well, if he hadn't have, um, binned himself at Austin at the beginning of the year, Tony, in the third round, he would have been crowned champion already. So just a completely 
well, I think it's hard to find uh, adjectives to describe that 26-year-old anymore. Um, just brilliant all year, never finished off the podium except when he crashed out of that event. Uh, first or second for most of them. I don't think he's finished lower than second since sometime last year. And just showing that um, no matter what happens, he's the one that rises to the top. And didn't he only had to um, finish with four-point buffer over uh, his main rival, Andrea De Vistioso, for the championship. So he could have cruised as long as the Vicioso was in behind him, as we saw for much of the race, him in second and the Vicioso in fourth. That would have given him the championship by a couple of points. But I oh, know Marquez isn't going to just uh, blouse around and uh, settle for second in the championship. And we ended up, well, it was a pretty processional race up until the last couple of laps or the last lap and a half when Marquez thought, well, okay, now's time to start playing. And um, he certainly played all right. Man, he just don't uh, give Quattararo a bit of a serve and uh, a bit of a dust-up. But he wasn't to be um, denied taking that championship in fine style. Yeah, no, and and he, uh, certainly, yeah. he certainly did, mate. And what about Jack Miller? Did he hit a kill switch or something on the bike at the yeah, start of the race? Yeah, he hit the, he hit the kill switch instead of his um, uh, launch control. So oh, God. I had to push it off the grid. And he's topped it on the chin, saying he was a bloody idiot for doing it and stuff. So... Um, I bet it won't happen again. Um, I've seen him, well, this year, um, Jorge Lorenzo in Argentina, he actually hit his pit lane limiter before the start. So the, the, all the buttons there, when they're trying to get mapping and all the rest of it done, they're not, uh, they're not fighter pilots, mate. Maybe there's too many buttons there in front of them that they've got to worry about. Yeah, maybe there but, is. Um, unfortunate to Jack, uh, you know, but uh, he, he recovered. He started from pit lane once they got it started, and at least he got a couple of points in the battle. And it's a pity because he was, uh, what was he, fourth on fourth on the grid? I think he was fourth or fifth. Yeah. Uh, and he was in. A, he would have been in a great position to be up there and uh, battling for at least a podium position. Uh, Marquez and Quadraro separated themselves, and Maverick Vignali's pretty early. And how would Vignali's and Rossi feel when you're chasing an old bike? Um, Quattararo's been on last year's bike all year and uh, has beaten him more often than not and Vignali's just dropped off the pace to finish third with the Vicioso fourth. And, um, yeah, well, what do you say about Marquette? He's just uh, a freak. Eight, like I said, eight uh, championships, six of them in MotoGP and he's uh, one, not even 27 years old. He's got about another three or four months to go before he turns 27 years old. So, Braxy, so, the inevitable uh, question then is, will he be regarded as the best ever when he finishes? I think you've, you've got to say that. I'm even thinking that now, Tony, because when you look at his statistics, okay, with the 200 Grand Prix he's done, him and Rossi are, are pretty even, but he's done it everything at such a younger age. All these pole, he's got more pole positions than uh, Rossi. He's hit rate. I think he's, um, out of all the Grand Prix in history, from 1949 up till now, he's won, Marquez has won 17% of them. Um, it's a remarkable effort for a kid that's only, and he ha- he's only fallen by the wayside once in those um, seven years he's been in the MotoGP when Lorenzo got him in 2015, that very controversial year in 2015. And he's got a lot more years left in him. Um, if Rossi can be racing at 40, there's no reason why Marquette can't do it. And these are the type of guys that just thrive on winning. Um, they've been winning since a younger age. They love the competitive, competitiveness of the, mach- the bikes and winning is an addiction to them. Um, and my, I know the next question you're going to ask, he's going to basically blitz um, Rossi's records, I think, in world championships. Rossi's uh, nine MotoGP championships. Uh, I think that'll be easily, easily eclipsed in the next coming years, unless a few of the boys step up the mark. Um, Fabio Quattararo is one. Uh, Morbidelli, if he can get a bit more consistent. Maverick Vignali's. Um, Bagnaia, when he gets a bit of it. I think Jack Miller next year will be a lot stronger proposition, a lot more consistent. Uh, unfortunately for Andrea De Vicioso, I think his best chance was in 2016 to win it. Um, but here's the problem, Braxy. Here's the problem. Now, all those guys could be absolutely amazing riders. Quattararo, no doubt. Vignales, fantastic. They could win two or three championships. They could possibly win 10 championships, but they won't because Marquez has probably still got another four or five. So in the next 10 years, if Marquez wins another four or five, that means there's only another four or five to be shared between these other great riders. So they're never going to reach yeah. the heights of this man. No, he's um, he's a he's a freak, and um, 
especially when you consider what happened on Friday afternoon in free practice number two. Oh, what a big uh, high side that was. The high side. Uh, the more I look at the video, I still reckon there was a, a structural fault in the um, swing arm because you hear a couple of cracks and it just the wheel goes a strange angle before it flips him into the into the uh, into the wheel. Well, in the, into the space shuttle orbit. Actually, yeah. geez, he flew high, landed on his back, winded the hell out of him. It took him a while to get to his feet, which is highly unlike the young kid. Um, and the bike was absolutely demolished. It was ripped in half. The only thing that kept the rear wheel in contact with the frame was the brake cable. Yeah. Um, the rest were just smashed, smashed the smithereens. And he comes out and then jumps on the uh, – sorry, that was in the first session. Comes out and jumps on the second session and within three laps goes top of the timesheets and you just shake your head and just yeah. go – Crazy. He, he just, yeah, he should have been. He, and then in that time, he'd been to hospital for head checks and all the rest of it and comes back and just situation, what, yeah, put that's out of the mind. Going down fastest again. And he would have got fastest in um, the qualifying too, except he had a little bingle at the, as one of those ones he just looked like he was going to save it. But this one, gravity got the better of him and he ended up being third on the grid for the weekend. But um, it wasn't a stopping, you know, he's, uh, like we keep saying, he's just another freak. He's going to come down here and have some fun. Unfortunately, he'd probably take away a bit of the crowd for the Australian Grand Prix because now that the championship's been decided with four races to go, it's a bit of a non-event. It's in the battle for second, I suppose. So it's only going to be the real oh. enthusiasts that come down and those that don't want to see it. A championship decided, but you mate, get yourself mate, down there. It. Don't even think about that, folks, because the racing at oh. Phillip Island is always amazing, and you don't want to miss out on a great race. Well, Remy Gardner, I reckon's a chance to win the race down well, there here after yeah. his last year, um, and we've got a couple of wild cards in there in the Moto Three category, um, and the support categories with the super bikes and the youngsters on the three hundreds. I think there's still going to be magic racing because Phillip Island um, is that sort of track full close racing and we see it in every category that gets out there the high speed fast nature and uh, um, how exciting it is I think the MotoGP race could be one of the best ever especially with the, with the amount of people we've seen in the last couple of years like um, the, the last the Grand Prix last year that was uh, another brilliant exhibition ride until um, Zarko and um, Marquette come together in that uh, into the pit straight, but one thing's for sure, there'll be plenty of action there in three weeks' time. They've got Japan, uh, two weeks or ten days' time now, yep. and then the high tail at the end of Australia. So uh, really looking forward to that one. All right, Braxy, we'll leave it at that. Thanks for your time as always, mate. Look forward to catching up with you in a couple of weeks' time after Japan. No worries, mate. Look forward to it as always. Have fun this weekend. So there you have it, Mark Brax joining us here on The Grid. That wraps up another episode locked up in the can. A massive week for On The Grid as it was last year as well. Don't forget, as we mentioned earlier, Thursday night we'll have our wrap-up podcast from uh, day one of Action at Bathurst. We'll have a podcast for you straight after qualifying on Friday. We'll have a podcast for you after the top 10 shootout also on Saturday and then every hour at around about a quarter past the hour, make sure you download our updates as to what's happened in the previous hour at Bathurst. We'll have driver interviews, team owners, and also our thoughts as well. Myself, Richard Crail, uh, Mark Walker, and also Dale Rogers there on board as well. Look forward to bringing you all from the mountain right throughout the week. We'll catch you again soon right here on mypodcasthouse.com.